Our second lesson for this morning comes from Acts chapter 10. Listen for God's word to speak to you. In Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of the Italian cohort, as it was called. He was a devout man who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to the people and praised, prayed constantly to God. One afternoon at about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he clearly saw an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. He stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? He answered, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa for a certain Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. When the angel who spoke to him had left, he called two of his slaves and a devout soldier from the ranks of those who served him, and after telling them everything, he sent them to Joppa. About noon that next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while it was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the heaven open and something like a large sheet coming down, being lowered to the ground by its four corners. And it were all kinds of four-footed creatures and reptiles and birds of the air. Then he heard a voice saying, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is profane or unclean. The voice said to him, a second time. What God has made clean, you must not call profane. This happens three times. And the thing was suddenly taken up into heaven. Now, while Peter was greatly puzzled about what to make of the vision that he had seen, suddenly the men sent by Cornelius appeared. They were asking for Simon's house and were standing by the gate. They called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Look, three men are searching for you. Now get up, go down, and go with them without hesitation, for I have sent them. So Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? They answered, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So Peter invited them in and gave them lodging. The next day he got up and went with them and some of the believers from Joppa accompanied him. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us join our hearts together in prayer. Lord God, thank you for this day, for your spirit that speaks to us and in us and through us. Give us a glimpse, a vision of your kingdom.
Bless the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts. May they be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I love bacon, said Asher earlier this week. We were eating bacon, obviously. Um, with our breakfast, normally it's sausage. Today it was bacon. Louise said, well, doesn't everybody? And me wanting to be a smart aleck, I mean, wanting to be a, um, someone who adds more you know, information to the, to the thing, right? Said, well, you know, maybe not Jewish people and, and Muslims. And then we had a whole conversation about exactly what that meant. Wait, what do you mean, Asher said, his brain trying to form around why people wouldn't like bacon? Didn't make sense. So I told him a little bit of what I will say here this morning. I also informed him that he would make it into my sermon this week. The Jewish people, we know, have a list of rules, and part of those rules are what is broadly talked about or referred to as kosher, particular things to eat. Tony did a wonderful job at reading all of the crazy things not to eat, to eat. What are the rules? Why does it work altogether? But that's not something that we as Christians do. No, in fact, we can enjoy our bacon cheeseburger with very little guilt. Why? Well, the reason that these rules were given to the Jewish people were multiple reasons. One was because of the idea and the concept of cleanliness or uncleanliness from a religious standpoint. These first kosher rules are given in the book of Leviticus, and their purpose is to let the Levitical priests know what is clean or unclean. And by that, there is very little sort of moral connection to that. It is a cleanliness, either you're clean or unclean, which is particularly important for these people who are serving as priests before the living God. Those who go into the very presence of God and make sacrifices on behalf of the people. Those especially that serve as the high priest who once a year go into the very presence of God, the Holy of Holies, to the Ark of the Covenant, the very seat where God sits. It became the practice of those who were high priests. They would wear bells on their robe. And it became the practice of the other priests to tie a rope to their foot when they would go in for the Day of Atonement into that Holy of Holies. Because if that high priest were not clean, perfectly clean, according to God, and there were all sorts of sacrifices that he was to make beforehand, not only for the people, but also for himself, so that he could enter into the presence of God and not be struck down. 
but they tied a rope to his leg just in case. He goes into the Holy of Holies and they hear jingle, 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 whoop. Who wants to be high priest now? And pull him on out. This was very important for the priests to know what is clean and unclean as they enter into the presence of God. But it was also important for the people at large. But the importance for the people at large was not as much about that cleanliness or uncleanliness because they had these priests as mediators between them and the presence of God, but it served not only as a clean or unclean sort of thing, but as an issue of holiness. Holiness has two meanings. There is the meaning that is pure, undefiled, and so that idea of cleanliness or not cleanliness was important. But the other part of the meaning of holiness is also to be set apart, to be different. And so part of the work that God was doing here through this law was to mark these particular people. And there are things that God told them to do that had very clear connections. You shouldn't murder people. Why? Because it's really not a good idea. Most people, most cultures, pretty much agree on that one. But there were some things that would be different, and they were different partially to be different. Why did the Jewish people, were they not allowed to cut the, before their temple their hair, haircut, the men? Why couldn't they eat certain foods? Why did they not mix the kinds of fabric that they wore? Different things like this. Partially, it was so that they would be marked. They would be different. They would be holy as a people. That the people around them would look at them and say, why do you dress differently? Why do you eat differently? Why do you do basically everything differently? And they could then say, because our God tells us these things. And it might be this sort of open door to an opportunity to share. They were to be marked as this holy, pure people. So why do we do, why do we not do it anymore? To a certain extent, it is because of this scripture and others. Because part of what God was doing in and through the law was to say, these are all the things that you need to do to be righteous. To be right with God. To be in right relationship with God. Here's all the things you shouldn't do. Here's all the things you should do. Here are all the things you should eat. Here are all the things that you shouldn't eat. And looking back Christian theologians the early, from the early church all the way to now look back and say, oh, I know what God was doing through that. 
God was showing us how impossible this task might be. As Spurgeon put it, it's like if you had the Alps. They are spread before you, and Napoleon looking at them and saying, can we make it over that? Someone saying, we barely, we could almost make it over that. Spurgeon says the law is as if we had taken the Alps and then put it on top of the Alps. Can we make it over that? No. There's no way. And so the law was given to the people not to say, here's all the things that you need to do to be perfect, but to say, here are all the things you need to be perfect and you can't do it by yourself. It's impossible. It's too high. So that when God presents a rescue plan. God's own being and human form in Jesus Christ being the final sacrifice for the people's sins. That we might be judged not on our own righteousness, but on the righteousness of Jesus. Only then can we achieve the righteousness that God presents for us? And so we as Christians look at a part of the Jewish law and say, these are good things for us to do. These ten, they're great. We should keep these ones. But there's a certain amount of the other more ceremonial law that is not necessary for us. It was just there for us as humanity to understand how we could not reach the perfection of God. The problem, and Paul makes this very clear later in some of his letters, is that the Jewish people had started to have a little bit of pride. They believed that they were righteous in themselves because they followed all of the right things. The Pharisees especially prided themselves on how well they followed every single rule. And not every, even every single rule, but every rule made after the rule to clarify the first rule to make sure that everything was just lined up just right. Even Peter here. Peter, and let's remember, Peter is a fisherman. Peter is from Galilee, the hill country. He was a hillbilly. And yet he receives this vision from God. Look at this big sheet full of all sorts of animals that you know you're not supposed to eat. And he says, oh, I've never done that. I may have broken several of the commandments. I may have done all sorts of other things, but I certainly have not eaten any giraffe or whatever it was. You see, our pride can kind of get in the way sometimes. We can assume that our way of doing things is the only way. 
that we're righteous in ourselves because we conform to the standards that we set up for ourselves. Oh, look, how is that? How convenient is that? God is saying to Peter, hold on. Where'd you get those rules from? These are my rules. And if I tell you that something is okay, it's okay. Now, did God, by that, did God mean that we can eat giraffes and eat all sorts of stuff? I don't know. There are theologians who may argue that. But there's something else going on in this story, isn't there? A story about Cornelius. Cornelius is a Roman. He's a centurion. He is an officer in the Roman army. He is from the Italian cohort. He is not from around here. That is for sure. And the pride around the Jewish people's identity sometimes became a barrier between them and others. Their assumption about how great they are as the people of God, which in fact they were, Their assumption that we are the clean, we are normal, means that those people are unclean. Those people are abnormal. If they don't conform to our understanding, they're obviously out. We've already seen in Acts, God is chipping away at that national and racial identity. And this is the opening salvo for this particular lesson that we will finish next week. Right now, God is saying, hey, wait a second, don't make assumptions about who is in and who's out what's clean and what's unclean, what's normal, and what's Abby somebody. And just at that moment, there's a knock on the door. And three men from Cornelius are looking for the house of Simon the Tanner, and the house of Simon or for a guy named Simon, also known as Rock, Peter, Petros. Is his name really Rock? Would Peter have gone with them if he hadn't had this vision? Would Peter have gone with them if he only saw this vision once? We don't know. But Peter, coming immediately off of this amazing vision of God's grace coming down, says, I'll go with you. I'll see where God is working here. 
He's willing, at least for a moment, to put aside his assumptions and see what God is at work doing. So as we think over our assumptions, our traditions even, as we think over the things that we do because we've always done them, perhaps we can reflect on how God may be at work doing things that we weren't expecting. God is on the move. Thanks be to God.